0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com/slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, the podcast that has suddenly gotten used to Chelsea not playing very well in recent weeks. Uh, I'm joined by the podfather himself. It's been a long-awaited return, Stamford Chidge. David Chidgey, how are we
0: doing, sir? Um, I'm all right, Nick, believe it or not. Uh, Probably because it's good to see you and it's good to be back on. Uh, So Chelsea have not contributed to me being in a good mood at all, but uh, being on here certainly has. And I'm sorry about the... uh, you know, it's the first game of the season I was supposed to come on, wasn't it? I just—I don't know what I was up to, but I was i was obviously busy. So I'm sorry about that. It's great to be back on now. Indeed, indeed. As always, do guests. I get them to give themselves a plug. Chit, you've probably
1: got quite a lot to, to tell people about all the various bits you do. So just go ahead and tell me where they can find you, the fan cast. Obviously, the important work the supporters trust do, etc. And obviously, the fancast have got some uh, a live event coming up after oh, the Arsenal yeah. game as well. So if you want to let people know where they can find that and all your work.
0: Yeah, I mean, for, for people who have yet to be, you know, discovered in the Amazon rainforest, you know, I do the Chelsea Fancast, which has been going since April 2008. And you find it on the internet at all your usual podcast platforms. And uh, it's rather fun and we like doing it. But, uh, yeah, I'm also involved with the Supporters Trust. I write for the fanzine, CFC UK. And you're right, we're kind of branching out a bit. We're kind of doing a lot of live events. Well, we're, we're trying to do about one a month because we have got together with this Brilliant plan. I don't know if, you, if, you, if, you've, if you're if ever, you know, a, a match and you fancy somewhere different to go and have a, a bite to eat or a pint or three, the Troubadour Club in Old Brompton Road is brilliant. And uh, they kind of approached us and said, well, we like to do live events. So uh, yeah, on on usually on, well, I say usually, they will be on Sundays in the afternoon. We've got the graveyard slot, I'm afraid. It's a bit of a hard sell, but uh, that's the best time for them and it works for us too. So we're doing one after the – when there's a match, it works brilliantly, like it does on the 6th of November, because we've got Arsenal at midday kickoff, and then at half three, we have an afternoon uh, with Pat and Evan. We, Pat. So uh, there'll be we'll talk about the Arsenal game. Me and J.K. will talk to Pat about that. And uh, then there'll be a, a live Q&A with Pat, and then a kind of – a I say a meet and greet, but, I mean, you know, basically, if you've got stuff you want signed, if you want to have a chat with Pat, then there's a, there'll be time to do that. Um, That's because it goes on for about three hours, I think, or three to half six. So there you go. Tickets are £20. Ticketweb.co.uk. You know, I should should check, really, shouldn't I? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you at the end. But the reality is, Nick, it's almost sold out. There's literally about a handful of tickets left. So by the time people start listening to this, they better get on it quick. But I'll I'll give you the uh, web address when i found it. I'll just shout it out randomly at some stage during the show. All right. Everybody just prick
1: is up for that vintage. it's just like subliminal stuff. advertising <laughs> indeed indeed uh right before we get into the show stuff i've just got to take care of a bit of admin and that is to remind you that support for that chelsea podcast is brought to you by manscape who are the best in men's below the waist grooming their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels manscape's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle Join over 6 million men, and if my math is correct, that's 12 million bulls worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer that we have for you. Get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CHELSEAPOD at manscaped.com. Now, I was kindly sent the performance package 4.0, and like Conor Gallagher for of a bench Crystal Palace a few weeks back, this package is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their Lorimer 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, cop preserver ball deodorant, cop reviver toner, performance box briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off is the Lorma 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. It will help clean up that mess down there a lot better than Chelsea's attempts to at Brighton yesterday. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce their grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology. The Lorma 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight should you need a more precise shave. Some might call it the Cesc Fabregas of trimmers. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor and everyone's a winner there. Now, like Mateo Kovacic and Kai Havertz's goals in Salzburg midweek, you no doubt thought that was good. But do you want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in most delicate nose holes. It'll get all up in your business, like former Blue Diego Costa looking for a scrap. Next up, we have their Crop Preserver Ball Geodrin and Crop Reviver Ball turner, which will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me, when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts of their forms package 4.0, the Manscaped boxes and the Shed travel bag. I mean, the travel bag is called the Shed. You know you want this. It's time to take your care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with code CHELSEAPOD. Get 20% off and free shipping with code CHELSEAPOD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CHELSEAPOD. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Right. Admin out the way. Chidge. It has been a very mixed week for Chelsea, but let's actually start with a positive.
0: It's <laughs> <Let's... understatement>,
1: Nick. <laughs> it is, it is. But let's start, let's start with a positive. Chelsea secured qualification from their Champions League group and also secured first spot in the group. A few weeks ago, this didn't look a certainty and it, we, we, we've actually made it a lot more comfortable than we thought it probably would be in these last few weeks. We'll kind of get onto to the game in a minute, but I guess just, before we start, because in this forecast, we probably will end up criticising Graham Potter for, for his selection, his tactics against Spryton. So let's start off with a bit of praise for him. His first campaign managing in the Champions League. You know, he'd said in his press conference he never even, you know, before his first game, he'd never even been to a Champions League game. Uh, a sort of a man, so I guess, with fairly humble beginnings in football, but credit to him. He has navigated Chelsea from a difficult position in this group uh, to, you know, securing top spot and playing some, some pretty good football along the way.
0: Yeah I mean it's it's been it's been really if you, if you look at the the Champions League qualification or the the group stage in, in the round it's been really interesting from from me it's been interesting because that was the one area of concern that I really had about potter I mean we said this on I think on Friday's Chelsea fancast but you know better managers than Graham Potter have found it really hard to manage their teams in the Champions League it's a very different from ball game, literally. Um, and he's done all right, you know. I mean, we had that absolute disaster class from from Tuchel's side against Zagreb. And I mean, to be honest, Nick, that can happen to any side. I mean, you just go back through history and a really shit team gets well up for it in a home cup match and, and shits on the opposition. So it, that can happen. I mean, that can happen to anybody. It could happen to any of Chelsea's managers. But the confluence of events at the time you know there was clearly something up, and I think that that shone through. So, you know, Potter did all right to come in. I mean, you know, I thought Salzburg were quite a decent side. I thought the beginning of the, the beginning of the, uh, you know, the group stages that actually they would be the, 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 you know, I would say the second best team in the group. It being that I would say that we're the best team in the group. I didn't think AC Milan were as good as people were saying because I don't think Serie A is up to much. So I thought Salzburg would be a worry, and they were good for their one-one draw. I thought his uh the wins against AC Milan were really really good the fact that AC Milan are a bit rubbish notwithstanding um but you know it, it, I think that's the first time only the second time we've gone over to Italy in recent history well I think I mean I remember the Lazio 4-0 back in the day but we don't tend to do too well going across to Italy and we were we absolutely outplayed them we absolutely destroyed them at home all this is very good and then we had the Salzburg going last week which I think took it to another level and I mean I know I know we can all talk about the the brilliance at times brilliant football that Chelsea played I mean it was you know some one-touch football and you know going from back to front was just you know if that's if that's what Potter's trying to instill in Chelsea I can't I can't think there would be anybody who wouldn't want that it was just a joy to watch at times um two outstanding goals as well um and some crap finishing as always which is down to the players not the manager but i think if i if i took one thing away from uh from the salzburg performance particularly but actually the group stages as a whole so far you know that that performance against salzburg last week was a proper professional european away performance you know they dominated they kept possession they dominated the game they let it slip because, they, you know, Salzburg scored an absolutely... Br- I mean, all three goals were brilliant, if you remember, but Salzburgs was exceptionally good as well. Um, and then they didn't panic. They got back into the game. They got another goal ahead, and then they managed it out. I mean, it looked like a Chelsea European uh, performance, particularly Chelsea European away performance. So I think if you look at it in that context, that we look like Chelsea, and yet we've got a relatively inexperienced Champions League manager at the helm, then I think that that's that says that that says good things and volumes about both, really, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, indeed. And with that, then I mean, Graham also
0: became the second
1: English man to go undefeated in his first nine games at Chelsea Manager in all competitions after William Lewis in 1906-7. And that is where the run ended, as we know, and we'll get on to a bit later. I was gonna say in that worked out well, didn't it? I know what what a that was. Um, but yeah, as I said, it was good. Chelsea secured top spot, and it means we've now also Another positive that it means we've got a game midweek against Zagreb. that means absolutely nothing and we can rest players for the big games against Arsenal and Newcastle ahead and in a packed schedule with Chelsea playing every three days, a game that means pretty much nothing it is actually fairly nice to have at this stage of the season. Yeah, Kai Havertz scored his first goal away from home in Europe for Chelsea, obviously that goal in Porto at a neutral a neutral venue, but his first goal away from Europe and Mateo Kovacic, a man only scores bangers. Uh, it's kind of simple as that, even if I'm not convinced he entirely meant what he did. But you he know, shanked it, he, he did, he did, he did very much shank it. But he, it went in, um, and that was what was <laughs> needed. And we won, and it was all very nice. And the feeling then was good because we've seen, you know, probably putting our best first half display of the season under Potter, a game where it said we really should have been three or four and up, But credit to their goalkeeper, who 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 kind of just did what a lot of goalkeepers tend to do and have very, very good games against Chelsea.
0: But yeah, I mean, so- the other. The other thing, the other thing I'd say about the Salzburg match, Nick, was that I th- I thought what was interesting because you know everybody talks about and we, I'm sure we'll talk about this when we talk about the Brighton match, but you know a lot of people have been talking about uh, Potter and what he's like tactically. You know he sets up lots of different formations. He ch- tends to change it two or three times within a game, and you know none of this is per se bad. I mean, I I, I mean you know. <laughs> I, I, I've absolutely criticised to the Hilt managers that don't change anything when it's glaringly obvious that they should do. You know, who just stick. I mean, you know, if you could level a criticism at Tuchel, although he was tactically very astute, he would be incredibly willful and stubborn, wouldn't he, tactically, I think, at times. So I've got no problem with, 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 with Potter and his tactical kind of setup. But what I was really impressed with was the way that, having played against Salzburg once, he kind of figured out a, a really good way to deal with them and to beat them. And that's what he... Because that, I mean, you know, people would, I mean, I, I, Potter's lost me totally tactically because I, I can't understand what he's doing half the time. But people were telling me it was a, a 3-3-3-1 formation at times. So, I, I mean, that's that's a bit, you know, I, I grew up with four-four-two, mate. This is all a little bit too much for me. But um, whatever he did, it was brilliant tactically because he knew that Salzburg would play quite narrowly. So, you know, he could have Sterling and Pulisic as the wing backs really, really high up. Which means that we, it just made us really, really good in an attacking sense, and we were relatively okay defensively because we just monstered Salzburg. So I, I think he worked that out from the first game. So I kind of think that's a really good indication that you know he does, he does really think. Of, you know, he's the kind of manager I think, as as we know, because we've been told this, but he he definitely will set up the side differently for everybody he plays. Whereas a lot of managers, of course, as we all know, will go, well, we don't worry about the other team. We just make sure we're right. And then they have to deal with us. He's he's definitely the the second of those two. And, you know, I I think it worked brilliantly against Salzburg. And I don't think anybody could take that away from him.
1: Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. Certainly, that first half, particularly the best first half of the team under Potter and in general, a pretty good performance in the state, a very successful night for Chelsea. well, We'll leave Salzburg there because we've got probably quite a lot more to talk about and digress. Chidge, Brighton, I guess there was almost in a way, and I guess, give the whole narrative surrounding it, Graham Potter returning to to his former club, Marco Carella returning to his former club, Brighton without a win under venue manager, there was almost too much of a narrative going against Chelsea. And that probably, and it probably didn't help, that Thiago Silva, one of Chelsea's best and most reliable players, himself had a pretty shocking game, pretty shocking start to the game where he made two errors and had to try and, you know, make up for both. And then the third time he could not. And I guess the tone was just really set in those in, right from the start. Chelsea never got into that game, did they? And it was, the tone was set early and, and we just never really recovered.
0: Well, you're right. And, I, I, and and this is, this is, this is the point, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've watched a lot of football between us and, and we see it all the time, you know, this is why managers, you know, get their teams to, you know, set them up and, and set out to, to start really, really quickly and absolutely get, you know, get right at it. And Brighton, Brighton were, I mean, obviously, they were going to be motivated. Every single player on the Brighton side wanted to show Potter what a twat he is for leaving, and, and they were really up for it. But also, Deserby set them up like that. And I think, I mean, you know, Silver has, I think, consistently been, I mean, every match he's ever played for Chelsea, he's either been man of the match or close to it. I mean, you know, his consistency is high-level performances have been so consistent so when you see silver make two horrendous ricks which is what he did you know that's like you don't expect that well there's a reason why he did it's because they pressed him and pressed him and pressed him so they clearly knew that he likes to dwell on the ball a bit i mean he's good enough to do that frankly but they got right into him and it pressurized him into making two horrendous errors um both of which he he rescued us funnily enough but not the third i'm afraid and uh yeah, but all came down. That was Brighton. That's Brighton's good work. And I think, I think as supporters, we often forget this, don't we? Because we're so uh, myopically focused on Chelsea and our own players. It's almost like we don't see the opposition and what they're doing. But you know, okay, you don't like to see a, a player make an error. I think you know. I think this is the thing, really, isn't it? Maybe we should adopt the tennis language uh, or the cricket language: un- unenforced errors. You know, there's a difference between, you know, an unenforced error when there's there's no player around you and an enforced error where actually you've got to sometimes credit the other team for playing really, really well. And I think you can absolutely credit Brighton for the way they got stuck straight into us, pressurised silver, And lo and behold, uh, that accounts for the first goal. But I don't know if it accounts for the remainder. No, indeed, indeed.
1: Uh, and I guess, you know, the tonal set. Two own goals. <laughs> two common cards and Also, I want, I'm also going to lay the blame at someone. Earlier in the week, I discovered that there was an account called uh, Has Trevor Chalabar Lost a Game for Chelsea Yet? And this was set up in the last week or so. And as soon as I saw that account, I thought, you are tempting fate. And I would see this go, still not lost yet, still not lost yet. So also, I'm placing the blame firmly at the door of a person who created that account. Because uh, Trevor Chalabar has finally lost a game starting for Chelsea. Yeah, two own goals. Uh, and we find ourselves 3-0 down, and it's just, it's just tough. And Chid, I guess, for part of the also weekly strength. the second half, we get that early goal straight away, but we don't really build on it. We never really look like doing much. Actually, during the game, we did create a few decent chances poor finishing that us down, but I also thought there was, you know, after getting to 3-1, there was still not really a huge intensity to really get back into that game. You kind of just... I guess we've watched enough of Chelsea over the years to know that it will, you know, just kind of peter out a bit, and it eventually did.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Isn't it, Nick? I mean, I, I think the last few years, this is what you've you've seen from Chelsea is that they 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 don't panic in a sense, so they 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 adopt a fairly patient approach um, until it gets to like the last five minutes, when then then they do panic and then they just you know throw everything at it um I don't I, mean, I I don't know if there's a wrong or a right about that because you know if you if you go large after we've scored the first one then maybe we leave ourselves more open at the back and they kill it off three nils three nil at half time. you know I'd, I don't know the stats but I'd, I'd love to see some stats on that but you very rarely come back from three nil down you know that's a mountain to climb I mean the, the most famous one that I can think of in Chelsea terms it was the old Sheffield Wednesday Milk Cup match in, in 85, you know, 3 0 down, 4 3 up. Big Doug Ruby fucked it up, you know, but it doesn't happen very often. So, and players know that. And I, I, I thought, you know, it, it, it but, but after the third goal went in, it was just chaos. It looked like chaos. I mean, I wasn't there, but it makes, I, I you know, know, that were there I've all said much the same. It looked like a sh- an omni shambles chaos, but I also thought, you know, their heads had gone. I don't know if their heads had gone down but their heads are gone. They were just, they were shell shocked, you know, and you know, I, I kind of made a note about it. I said they needed to come out in the second half, not feeling sorry for themselves because I think, I think they were feeling sorry for themselves. And I think this is the thing about players. And we've seen this a lot down the years with various managers. Um, I think players are a bit like cats. Nick's looking at me like I've lost the plot, lost the plotter. Maybe we should say, but, uh, they are a bit like cats. If you've ever had a cat, cats hate to be embarrassed or have the piss taken out of them or made to look stupid. And I think if a, if a manager sets up a formation that goes spectacularly pear-shaped very, very quickly, the, the people who are exposed are the people that are on the pitch. It's the players that look stupid. It's the players that look foolish. And they do not like it because they're like cats. They don't like to be you know, made to look foolish. And, and they kind of throw the, the, the dummy out, really. And they, they do, I think, have a propensity to feel a bit sorry for themselves, unless there was an excellent leader on the pitch to really stick it to them and get them fired up. So, whether that had something to do with it, I don't know. I mean, that they could have, you know, we've seen this happen with Chelsea quite a lot in fairly recent history. And I think if, if you want to have a cutoff, I would I would absolutely say it's it's, it's since the days of the great spine of Chelsea when you had the likes of Cole, uh, you know, Czech, Terry, Lampard, Drogba, Mikel, these kind of players in the side. Once they had all gone, you know, you would get these matches occasionally that come along where we absolutely screw it up spectacularly, find ourselves three down really quickly. And they just basically jack it in because, oh, well, we're not going to win that one. We'll just write this one off and go to the next game. There, there does seem to be a sense of that. So I wonder if that, sorry, very long answer, Nick. I wonder if that has something to do with the lack of urgency as well. They just kind of thought, well, we're not going to win this, so you know, why not, why bother? Yeah, indeed. And then Brian, you
1: know, compound our misery with another Thiago Silvero, error, to, you know, clear the ball properly, just takes a shot, Mendy saves it, and then there's someone in on the rebound. To make I thought it that for was one. poor
0: by Mendy. You yeah. know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to just gratuitously kick him, but I do think it was poor. It's really interesting that we've seen you know, the good version of Kepper recently and, and and also how Kepper has improved. Because I think, you know, one of the things I've noticed about Kepper is his willingness to come for the ball in the box. And, and, I mean, he likes to punch like modern keepers do. That's okay. He doesn't like to catch it. Um But he was never doing that before. He's really, I think he's gone away and really worked hard at his game in terms of how to cope with being a keeper in the Premier League. And that means you've got to be more aggressive. You've got to be more commanding. You've got to come for the ball and you've got to be brave. But the other thing is, you know, he's always been a good, uh, I mean, it's really odd because I think Kepper is a good shot stopper, but there was that time when we used to say he had, what, smoke hands. Any, any ball that was hit from 20 yards out would just, you know, go through him. But uh, he's also learned that if you're going to do a, you know, save a shot, you've got to push it sideways, not straight out. And that's why I thought Mendy was poor because he put it straight back into danger. Hence they scored. Okay, the defence could have reacted more quickly, but I think that's on Mendy, to be honest. Fair enough, fair
1: enough. And with that fourth goal, I meant Chelsea have now conceded as many Premier League goals as they did in the whole of 2004-05 in Premier League. So, a right. nice little random stat there for you. Uh, it also meant Chelsea have conceded four-plus goals in their first defeat under Graham Potter, Thomas Tuchel and Frank Lampard. A nice little interesting stat there. And yeah, Graham Potter has been a manager in all the games that Brighton have won this season. <laughs> Again, a nice little, very random and pointless stat for you. Um, yeah, Chich, it was very... It was just very poor yesterday. I kind of said to people, I can't remember a worse 15 minutes to a Chelsea game that I've watched in a long time. I think I said to people that was probably the worst first half I'd watched us play since West Brom away in lockdown under Frank when we found ourselves 3-0 down very early on in that. It was just very, very poor. And in general, that was just... But again, it's also probably one of those where it's not necessarily a huge surprise because we've seen Chelsea over recent years have a history to just, to I guess, spectacularly implode is it you, we've seen 4-1 loss to brentford last year 3-0 loss at leeds earlier this season losses to bournemouth you know losses to watford etc it's just been some absolute horror show so i guess we shouldn't really be too surprised by it um
0: and well, i think i think that's the point isn't it nick you know i mean i i think there are plenty of things which no doubt in a few minutes we will, we will get into there are plenty of things to have a dig at potter about about yesterday's match against brighton but you know we we we've been getting two or three results like this uh, I think even Conte yes. Yeah, going back to Conte, we got whooped by uh, Bournemouth, didn't we, and Watford yeah. under Conte, yeah. so we, we seem to be getting two or three of these a year, and as I said I think, I think like I said a minute ago, I think, I think it's the players, there's a mentality issue here I think there really, really is, because I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, I don't remember too many arse whoopings when the likes of JT, Lampard, Drogba and Czech were playing um, I mean, okay, we had Mourinho as manager, blah, 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 but he wasn't the only one. I mean, I, I remember a 3 0 away at um uh, Middlesbrough, maybe one to Sunderland, but they were very they were very few and far between. You know, and they they usually they usually had like a sending off involved and something like that. But it just didn't really happen then. But it's every year since Conte, we're we're getting whooped by teams we shouldn't get whooped by quite considerably. Two or three, you know. Horrible results like this in the season. And we've already had two this season with, uh, with the Leeds match. And you know, I'd argue the Southampton match was just as bad, but it wasn't a whooping, I suppose. So, yeah, it's got to be the players because that's the difference. You know, No, it's, 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 it's no leaders, something we've been talking about for a long, 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 long time. You know, you wouldn't dare, you know, turn your toes up, and, you know, long the match off if you were playing with JT in the side because he'd beat the shit out of you in, uh, at time in the dressing room. You were more scared of JT than you were the opposition.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah. indeed. There were quite a lot of questions of the game. We'll get on to them soon. I'm just going to say, Chich, we've kind of seen Mark Cucorella now. And I, I don't want to just pin the blame solely on him because he is clearly not the only one responsible. There are 10 other players on that pitch with him. Um, but Mark Cucorella has played a lot of games now as a left centre-back. He's played three games. The last three Premier League games he has started as a left centre-back in the Premier League. He has been substituted off. Chij, I'm fully aware, as we were aware, that Grant Potter does face injuries to the likes of Reese James, Kalidou Koulibaly uh, and Wesley Fofana. But is potentially, and we'll maybe get on to this more question, is he also potentially a bit guilty of almost just trying to just reinvent the wheel a bit too much the fact that we see he's played the three at the back today and he's had Sterling and Pulisic sort of as wing-backs or, you know, wingers, whatever role that is, when the reality is the Cucurella is... It's not like this is just a one-off first time Cucurella's been sort of poor and, the, you know, the 3 the back has not really worked. This is the third one in succession, and surely you've got an option now where you've got Cesar Spillacueta on the bench, who I know we maybe do not want to see play as much, but you've got someone like Ben Chilwell on the bench who didn't feature midweek. Surely there's just other... Op- you know, go 4 of the back Spillacueta right-back, Chile, left-back, Silver and, uh, and Trevor, centre-backs, and then, you know, just give a bit more structure, because it did just feel yesterday that there were just three defenders on the pitch yesterday, and, and probably, you know, we just probably, it did feel, and I guess it's easy to say in hindsight, but just for balance, just all wrong yesterday.
0: Well, I think there's a, there's a lot in this, and I think yeah. this needs to be broken down, because I don't I don't think it's simple. I mean, let, let's let start with Cucurella and see where we go from there. I mean, Cucurella, um I think is is a wing back. Um secondly he's a left back. I don't think he's the left center back. I just I just don't think he is. I mean, you know, if you if you want if you want to play with three center backs. Now okay, I am no coach. I haven't got any coaching badges. I'm just an opinionated gobshite that's watched a lot of football. But in my humble opinion, if you play with three center backs, you play with three center backs. You know, any one of those three could play Either you know right or left center back in a in a four, okay. But you just got three of them, so they're big fuckers who can challenge and tackle and and also distribute the ball in a modern sense. They have to be able to play out from the back. I get that. I don't want scrawny people as a center back. This doesn't work for me. And he's a left back or a wing back. He's not a, a center back. Um, he's not even the best left back or best wing back left wing back in the club because Ben Chilwell is far better in both positions but Ben Chilwell Ben Chilwell is is definitely not a left center back that we know and i think you know yeah okay Cucurella let's i mean arguably not good enough i mean i don't think we've seen enough of him really to make that judgement but in my hunch tells me that he's a wing back then a left back but not a left center back i think the reality is is that the three centre backs yesterday were, were were hung out to dry by by the system that uh, that Potter played because if you've got um, I mean Brighton interestingly you know set up differently than they normally set up by the way they normally play three four two one or three four one two they didn't they had four at the back yesterday and I think Deserby's done his homework and I think he thought that okay they're going to play three at the back and he hasn't got any decent wing backs so I know what we do. We attack them down the flanks, and that's exactly what he did. And because you had Sterling and Pulisic as the wing uh, wing backs, what an absolute fucking joke that is! But they were playing very, very high. They don't track back, so Brighton knew that, and they were popping balls for fun down the down the wings into the space vacated by Pulisic or Sterling. You got Loftus Cheek or Kovacic, because we didn't play Jorginho, Interestingly enough trying to cover, they couldn't because they were going to be pressing quite high anyway. And that, that, you know, Trevo and and Cucurella were hung out to try. They were absolutely, completely and utterly not protected in any way, shape or form. And there was a lovely bit on Match of the Day last night by Ian Wright, who pinpointed this quite a lot. And there were moments in the game, you know, where Silver was having to come out right onto the left wing to make up for Sterling's lack of any defending initiative. And that completely throws the shape. And, you know, that's what Brighton exploited. That was their plan. And they exploited it really, really well. But, I, I mean, I, 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 I won't point the finger entirely at the centre-backs because I think they were really hung out to dry yesterday by the manager. And if I'm, if I'm a player, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'd be really pissed off with him for that. I'd be getting into his ear, actually, while it was happening, saying, do something about this. We're being exposed here. That's what you used to see JT doing to even Mourinho if he got it wrong you know because managers do get it wrong and potter got it big wrong yesterday but that's with the the selection and the formation and brighton exploited it brilliantly yeah
1: yeah indeed right let's get into some listener questions now so we can actually you know properly break down this uh, going to start with Dan Hill goes, to what extent does the culpability for such terrible performance have to rest on Graham Potter? Chelsea looked tactically inept and in particular Potter's desires for directness through long balls was at odds with playing Kai up top, someone who is hopeless at it. Chelsea continually lost second balls, failed, uh, uh, failed to beat Brighton's press in first off, and yet Potter waited until half-time when we were 3-0 down to change things. Surely the manager deserves a grilling for playing countless players like Sterling and Pulisic out of position and then we did also get a question about will this be the end of uh starting attackers as wingbacks but um yeah Chich, as i said other, i said the start of the podcast i wanted to praise graham potter for the job he'd done in securing qualification out of champions league group because it was i think something that needed you know should be praised But that i think yesterday as bad as those players forms also i think a lot of that probably does have to go on on the manager in these first few weeks understandably he's he's tried a lot of things he's not had preseason to experiment this is his time to try and you know try and get a tune out of players. But unfortunately, that was probably that it just all fell apart. And arguably, actually, potentially, this could have even happened sooner if it was not for Kepper's goalkeeping heroics at Aston Villa, Manchester United's and Brentford's average/slash Slashordie finishing in Keppers performances against them as well in those 1st half fair. Because Chelsea, this is probably the fourth half in a row starting a Premier League game they've not played very well in. Uh, and you know in a lot of time Potter has had to you know readjust and make changes to, to his original plan. So it's finally, you know, cata catat- yeah, cata cata yeah, it's finally gone horribly wrong here. Catastrophically <laughs> catastrophically, that's a word. It's finally gone horribly wrong here. So how much surely this is the point now where Potter take takes a lot of the blame for this one, doesn't he? Uh
0: yes, he does. And and uh, you know, the ultimately it, the manager, you know, Chooses the system to play, and he picks the players to play in that system. So, you know, he, he he's definitely responsible for that. Um, I don't, I you know, I think the players, you know, equally, you know, need to hold their hands up because, um, in, in, look, in my view, you should never ever be out fought on a football pitch or out outworked. You know, you, you know, and you're right. We were we were second best in so many areas yesterday. Second to the ball. Uh, second to challenges, coming off second best in challenges a lot. You know, you can't blame the manager for that. That's that's on the players, and they need to hold their hands up for that. And I think, you know, maybe you could say that the manager just didn't imbue them with the right mentality for the match, perhaps. You know, maybe they took it a bit casually. Maybe they thought, oh, we're going to scroll this. Who knows? They do play a lot of matches, and I'm sure that has an, has a, a, an effect. But, you know, I think, look, Potter picked the wrong system yesterday. And you're right, he failed to change it quickly enough. And he picked, you know, the wrong people to play in that system. Yeah, Sterling and Pulisic worked against Salzburg. It it was unlikely to work against Brighton. Why? Because this is the Premier League. And I'm sorry, the Champions League group stages are not anywhere near the level of the Premier League. We're going to get figured out much quicker, I think. So you can blame him for that. I, I mean, I think you do need to take account. There are lots of mitigating factors here, which I think we need to talk about. You know, uh, defensive injuries. Um, I mean, we only have three centre-backs at the moment. Lashley, well, we only have two, which is Silver and Chaloba, because I don't think Cucurella is one. So, you know, he's a bit limited and that doesn't get talked about enough. But then again, if that's the case, I mean, this is what's been driving me up the wall, actually, Nick, for weeks now. You know, I I called it when James got injured. I said, right, we have two brilliant wingbacks at this club, Chilwell and James. When they're fit, play wingbacks, because they're amongst the best there are. When we haven't got either of them fit or both of them fit, don't play a system which has wingbacks in it. It's not that fucking hard, mate. So why does he do it? Sterling is not a wingback. Pulisic is not a wingback. Aspie's not... His legs have gone. He can't play wing-back. Loftus-Cheek is not a wing-back. Cucurella, yeah, OK, possibly as a left wing-back. But Jesus, it's not hard. So why does he not do it? Why doesn't he play four at the back? Why does he always start with three at the back and then end up with four at the back? Doesn't that tell us something? Doesn't that tell you something, Graham? You know, start, play four at the back. Why doesn't he? Because Silver is worried about his legs going. And he's worried about that. That's why... Well, okay, play Jorginho literally sitting straight like like an old fashioned Libero, you know, right in front of the back four. Give you give you. don't worry about him going forward. He's fucking useless up there anyway. Stick him there as an added line of security. Put two or three ahead of him. You know, come on. I haven't got any coaching badges. He has. Surely he can figure this out. Because I'm sorry, if you haven't got good enough wing backs, don't play a system. With wing backs, there you go. rant over. Indeed, and it kind of just
1: links back to what I, you know, I, I said earlier, just before we go on to the questions. I said you've. I know we've got injuries, but surely comes a point where you've seen this sort of free back not work. Surely you, you, do kind of stop it. Uh, but you know, we'll see if he's learned his lesson uh, when we next play
0: in the Premier League against well, Arsenal. There's another thing, Nick, as well, which you, you kind of alluded to. You know, we, we are playing a lot of matches at the moment it's kind of been a baptism of fire for him, for which I have sympathy. There's a lot I like about Graham Potter, I've got to be honest, a lot I like, and, you know, we all know we're going to have to be patient, we all know that we're not patient, Um, you know, I I sincerely hope that Bowley sticks to his word and doesn't get rid of him, you know, and actually, you know, trust the process, as it were, because there is a lot to like about Potter, and I I think he's a good manager. But there are some things you've got to question. And I think the thing we just talked about is the one. But, you know, yeah, a lot of matches. So I wonder if the, he's, he's not used to that. He's not used to that as a manager having to play two, you know, must win games every week. Uh, is he doing too much rotation as a result? I would say yes. I think I, I'm a great believer that you figure out what your best team is and you play it. You know, and he's not doing that. He's rotating every match. And I mean, we joke about it because I do the team selection on our Friday show. And I well, I mean, I never get it right anyway, but I mean, I've got even less chance now because you just don't know what he's going to do. Is he too is he trying to be too clever by half, you know, changing uh, systems, you know, three, four times in a match, changing it from match to match? I, I'm not sure these things necessarily are working. So maybe he needs to look at that. And then, of course, you look at the, the historical legacy here, which is that, you know, we've still got a long way to go to, you know, sort out the, the transfer messes of the last 10 years. You know, there are there are clearly some players who are not good enough. Uh, we've still got kind of a, you know, like a smorgasbord of players that have suited two or three different managers. So there's the kind of structural problems that are in there as well. So this is not all at Potter's door. But like I said at the up front, uh, Nick... He's the one that selects the players and he's the one that selects the formation that they play in. So those two things are absolutely his responsibility. And if he got that wrong, he needs to get a booting from us. And that's what he's getting today. Yeah, indeed. The next question comes in for Joe, and he kind of links to what I said. Uh,
1: Will this result might be end of starting attackers wing backs? Surely Dave's experience, whether or not his legs have gone, would have made that chaotic start unlikely. And Joe is kind of what I was saying to you earlier. This is not, it's not, we've seen the free at the back with the current players we've got and using it, not work for a few games now. I don't think. I know your hands are tied, etc. But just, just, I don't think we need to try and overcomplicate it. Just said as for the a fullback, yes, there'll be issues. Yes, there'll be limitations. But on the whole, is fairly defensively solid. Ben Chilwell, I think, has been has played it fairly safe this season. Obviously, recovering from injury and hasn't been the shining attacking light he was. But defensively, I can't really fault him this season. Then you have Silver and and Trev in a back four. That's honestly that's what I would have gone for gone for. Again, it's easy to say in hindsight. I don't think I don't know if I said it beforehand, but it just seems to make sense. I could Corella playing as a left centre back. And it's not just down to him, Cook but we've seen he doesn't work and the whole system has worked. And he's also just, I guess, you know, shows that the free of the back system does not really work without Reese James, as Chiji alluded to earlier. You lose one of these our two star wing backs and the system, it kind of all falls down.
0: Um, so yeah, change. Of well, that's, that's, where it start, that's where it started, Nick, under Conte, wasn't it? If you remember, I was there at Highbury when we got dubbed three 0 Okay, I mean we we played the Emirates,
1: four... or we should say the Emirates. No. <laughs>
0: it's been... you, know, you know, it's always Highbury to me, but yeah, yeah. the Emirates. But um, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was shocking, and 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 you could see the the systemic issues therein. And he, that's when he went to wing backs, and it, and it absolutely worked brilliantly. But that's the point: back three wing backs. You know that they're, they're in, inextricably. Uh, you know, in, indelibly linked. That's the point. You know, so if you if you don't have good enough wing backs, your back three system, I don't think, is going to work. You know, that's the point, which you made much more eloquently than me. So I don't know why I ch- chimed up with that then, but there you go.
1: But yeah, so exactly. I said, there will still, with Reese James injured, there will be issues because there is no, you know, there is no one like Reese James. There is no one like <laughs> Reese
0: James. Nothing in the world.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but, but there isn't. We do not have someone like him, anyone close to him in terms of replacement. So he is going to be a big loss, but ultimately, as I said, I just think also, you you lose someone like Rich James in this match. I just think you change a bit. As I said I don't think the team yesterday for playing free at the back as well. That midfield he chose as well for all there'll be a lot for all the criticism Jorginho gets. He is the most defensively minded midfielder we have, and he was not on that pitch yesterday. No, you play Ruben Losa Cheek and Mateo Kovacic, who were are good good players, but they're not really defensively minded. There's going what, to what be did, issues.
0: What did you think about Cheek ending up playing right
1: back? Oh, Chidge, I Chich, I'll be brilliant. honest. After about the last fifteen twenty minutes, is all just a blur to me. I don't remember but, a huge I amount mean, of that. It's
0: he did all right, as yeah. Happens, but as I
1: that's no, just mental. So, no, to be fair, as I said, Ruben lost his cheek in twenty twenty two is the ultimate utility man. Credit to him, he will almost put in a. He will put in a shift almost anywhere as a wing back. As he, it's not his favoured position, and it's not a position I want to see him in often. But he's done decent there, and he will. He will just basically play anywhere for the sake of his Chelsea career. So I've kind of got a. Gonna lord that, but yeah, ultimately JL. Yes, please, no no more wing backs, no more attackers as wing backs, Just play play your wing backs as wing backs, and if they're not play, they're play a back four. Because as I said we've got we've got centre backs injured, so you're also putting a lot of strain on playing this with back three system is because you need more defend, you need more centre backs for a back three than you need a back four. So yeah. Um next question comes in from Brandon. Why do you think performances have varied so much? We've looked really good and really bad under Potter Safar. So Chij. Is it just as simple as we've looked really good when Reese James is there, and we've not looked very good without him? Because there is there is quite a clear correlation. These games we've not had Reese James in, we've won one of them, we've drawn two, and we've lost one, and we've been thoroughly in all four of them at best. Thoroughly average at best in all four of them. Obviously Salzburg was with a one example, exception, but before league games we've had without Reese James, we looked thoroughly average, and you know before that with Reece, we looked fairly good in games we played.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a good point, Brandon. But uh, or uh, yeah, I mean. I think it's perhaps too simplistic to say it's just just since Reece James hasn't been there, but I don't know. I mean, it's this is the thing. I, I just kind of take a step back from it for a second. I think it's a very it's very difficult for Chelsea supporters at the moment. You know, we've been we've been used to Chelsea, uh, you know, not not playing a certain way, but being a certain way. I think for so long now, you know, since Roman came in. Uh, which has reset our expectations in a you know completely different way than it was before. You know, we now, <clears throat> we expect to win every game. We get grumpy when we don't. We expect to play well every game. We get grumpy when we don't because this is what we've, we've you know, become accustomed to. And it's really hard, I think, I conclude myself in this, to let that go. But I think let it go, we're going to have to do because we're in very, very different territory right now um we've got a relatively inexperienced manager at this level we've got an inexperienced board at this level i mean i know that they've done great things with 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 american sports franchises but this is football this is a different sport and and they're going to be they're going to be learning on the job so you know can can chelsea you know maintain the level that we have become accustomed to for the last 20 years whilst this is all going on. Well, the honest answer to that, Nick, is I have absolutely no idea. It's not impossible that they can do that. Chelsea have functioned quite brilliantly under permanent flux and change throughout that 20 years. So maybe this is just another iteration of that. But I mean, I think you have to also put this in the context of the fact that the Premier League is getting a lot harder, as it always does. You know, Arsenal, you know, I think if they they win today, they go top again, don't they? So who would have thought that uh, Man City are still Man City? Liverpool are even worse than us, which is hilarious. I watched the I watched the the, the Leeds match last night, laughed my head off for most of it. Um, but you know you can't rule them out. They've got too many good players and a good manager to not be a threat at the end of the day. Newcastle are absolutely on the rise without really having spent a fortune yet. You know they're doing they're doing a they're kind of doing, you know they they employed Eddie Howe, who in a sense. You know, you can read, for, for Eddie Howe, read Graham Potter. All right? But they're, they're, you know, in the top four already, playing really, really well. And they haven't spent a fortune yet. They haven't bought any Galacticos, which is what we all thought they would do. Tottenham under Conte. I mean, they're still Spurs, obviously. But, you know, Conte's a bloody good manager, as we know. So they'll be more of, of a threat. Uh, and United under Ten Hag, he's a good manager. He's beginning to get a tune out of them, even though they're mad as a barrel of monkeys. You know, so there are... About, I said, I said this on the show the other week. There are probably about eight teams now that could be competing for that top four, a top four place that we've absolutely been shoo-in for most of the last 20 years. And, you know, when, when, uh, before Tuchel left, I think most of the Chelsea supporters' talk was we need to win another Premier League title. It's been too long. Oh, we've got a manager here who's won us the Champions League. Surely we can translate that with a few good purchases into winning the title or pursuing a challenge they're in. Now, I think it's a different ballgame. Now we're saying, oh, can we actually even get top four? And it's going to be harder to get into top four. So I think I think we're in for a, a very different experience uh, than we've been used to. And it's going to be very difficult, I think, for a lot of us to to be able to tolerate that. But that's where we are. That's what happens when the club gets changed uh, in terms of ownership and they have a new way of doing things and they, they kind of want to do it more organically. So we are where we are, but it's going to be, I don't think it's impossible that we can maintain the level of success, but I really wouldn't be surprised if there is a dip before there is a a, a rebound.
1: Yeah, and Brand also as your point, performance um, is performances varying so much. Again, this is also a trend at Chelsea from the last four or five years as well. This isn't necessarily just a recent thing. Um, also, I think this season of all seasons, we're playing games every three days. We played nine games this month. Uh, which is kind of just absurd. We're playing a lot of football. Players are fatigued. You've got players coming out speaking about fatigue. We're dealing with injuries as well. You don't want to make excuses, but it's just, I think, context as well. But this season isn't really like a normal season to me. It, I kind of draw the comparison slightly to, to playing football in COVID, the fact that the amount of football we're playing in, you know, trying to fit into a schedule. The obviously difference to this, to COVID, is this Krausen, which makes the, the experience of watching the game some, that bit more enjoyable. Um but I do find it hard to to really get invested as much or take this season as seriously due to the amount of football we're playing, the severe lack of the the severe decline in the product on show as well. Um, but yeah, we, I think we have put up. As I said, we started well, and then we've just you know seen some some issues that we've kind of come to see under previous regimes. Though it's not is it necessarily a huge shot Performances have looked really good and bad so far. I don't know. It's perhaps not actually that much of a of a shock, this squad this doesn't just magically get better overnight, you know It, it as we've seen with other managers, it, it kind of reverts to type at, at some point or the other um, The next question comes in from RJ Do you think today's result materially changes the way Potter thinks about how he approaches the future games and or
0: his perception of certain players Chidge? That's a good question, RJ That's a good question I mean, I, I said a few weeks ago that it was quite interesting watching um, Potter's team selections, and you know he's clearly rotating, but he's you know in 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 many of our opinion playing players who were clearly out of form. And I, ironically, um, I was clamoring for Pulisic to get a start for the last few weeks ahead of Sterling because I think I think Sterling's so far has been an abject disappointment for Chelsea. I mean, he was appalling yesterday. But he's been pretty average since he came. Um, he t- seems to be taking too many touches. He never seems to shoot like passes, you know, on the six-yard box. Still thinks he's playing for Man City. I think but it's just it's just not working at the moment. Um, there's been some really interesting people saying, well, you know, he only came here because he wanted to get his world guarantee, getting his World Cup place. So he wasn't, you know, because if you remember last year for City, he wasn't getting much game time. So I have a feeling they were phasing him out. So does he really care about playing for Chelsea? We don't know, do we? But the bottom line is you only go on what you see on the pitch. And I thought that Pulisic deserved to start ahead of him because he looked more threatening. Um, and then funnily enough, they both start as wing-backs. I mean, you know, you, you have to be fair and say, well, if Sterling's being played as a wing-back, then it's really a bit unfair because he's not one. But uh, nevertheless, you know, he's being picked and he's not in form. Havertz is being picked and he's not in form. OK, you've got the argument that some player like Mount, Mount was not in good form either, is he, earlier in the season. Sometimes managers take a view, you know, that uh, form is temporary, class is permanent, and they'll play themselves out of it. That kind of happened with Mount. I mean, you might argue it's kind of happened with Habits. It also brings other things to the game, so, so on, so on, so on. But I think the over overarching thing for me is that, you know, the bulk of the, the squad is the same as, as it was under Tuchel. There's still a lot of players that have been here on, that were under Sarri. We, we, we could all, most Chelsea sports, could sit in, in a pub, have a pint or two, and name the players that aren't good enough or will let you down when the shit hits the fan. We know that. Potter doesn't know that yet. And I, and I wonder if Potter's coming to Chelsea a bit kind of awestruck, going, bloody hell, I was at Brighton and I had players like Dunk. Now I've got world-class players and internationals in every position, And this is brilliant. So they're all really good players. So therefore, I can just play one team one day and another team the next day. And it won't be any different because they're all great players. Well, no, Graham, that's not true. We've got about 12, 13, maybe 14 players who really are pretty good and reliable. And the rest are 50-50. And we know that they're going to let you down because we've seen them do it for us time and time and time again. And I I, I wonder if he's, you know, he's got to try and work that out at the moment. And I wonder if that's why, you know, like I said earlier on, he doesn't know what his best team is. But I think he doesn't know what his best team is yet because he, he hasn't worked out that some of these players are either not good enough or they're going to let you down. And, and maybe that's going to be a bit of a process to get to that point.
1: Fair enough, fair enough, RJ. Yeah, I said, hopefully today, that was, let's say, the third league game in a row that the three at the back did not work. And until we've got people like Fafana and Kula Bali back, I would just say, I would hope that he would abandon that for the time being. Uh, as for his perception on certain players, I, again, I don't know how much changes necessarily, I, you know, I thought, actually, one player I'm not really mentioning in the pod, Conor Gallagher, I actually think, has been probably one of the bright spots these last two games, uh, I thought he was good in in Salzburg, uh, set up Kai's goal yesterday, nearly got on the score sheet himself, uh, header brilliantly saved by Sancho, so I guess he is probably one player who's kind of shown actually, and has been in an, in, an, in, an, in an attacking sense, pretty good good for Chelsea. He's he's actually created and been involved in quite a few of the chances that we've made these last two games. And given this Chelsea side has been accused and quite often labelled of lacking in creativity, he has been someone who's certainly been stepping up to a mark in terms of that aspect of these last two
0: games. Uh, absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, I I, I absolutely love... Conor Gallagher. I mean what what I, I was thinking about this when I was watching the match yesterday that it's really pleasing to see that Conor is replicating the kind of form he showed for Crystal Palace last season and he's doing it in a Chelsea shirt and it, and he's adapted really really quickly because if you remember his first two appearances under Tuchel were appalling I mean bless him they were just horror shows um but he's 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 stuck at it and and he and he's getting decent game time now and you know, I think the last few games that he's played, he, he's been amongst our better performers, and I mean that's that's really pleasing to see because I think he's, I think potentially he's better than Mount. I think there's more potential there with Connor than there is with Mount. And Mount, I, and I love Mount. I mean, I think Mount's a fantastic player. I mean, it's no accident that every manager absolutely loves him, including Southgate. They all see something in him which we, uh, you know, a lot of the match going sports see that's for sure. But I do think that potentially in terms of who's the better player, I think it could be Connor. He's got more. He's got more to his game. He's got great technique. I mean, he he's got a great shot. He can score goals from outside the box. He can arrive late. He can head the ball. He can pass. He can run back. He can. T- I mean, he's got it all. You know? Do you know who he reminds me a bit of? It's like a more skillful Brian Robson. Who's
1: he? They all say that's. I was good. I was just gonna. I just paused. I was like, that that sounds. I don't song, mean, Bob
0: Robson for some of the older listeners. I mean, Captain Marvel back in the eighties for England and Man United. I mean, he was the ultimate box-to-box midfielder. He had everything, you know. Um, I think, I mean, Conor, I think as is, the te- as is the modern way, I think you'll find that people like Conor Gallagher are probably better technical players, you know. They've got a better range of passing. But he reminds me of him in a way because he used to score a lot of goals for England and United. And I think Conor can do for Chelsea given, given the opportunity.
1: Well, some praise for Conor, but certainly he has been, you know, a, looked a very good player so far under Graham Potter, and hopefully the opportunities do continue. The next question comes in from Connor. Is it fair to say this was a freak game slash result that may not have any bearing on the next one? I mean, as we kind of mentioned, this freak result does happen a lot.
0: Yeah.
1: Chelsea have tended to bounce back from these sort of freak results and disappointing results. So we'd like to think it would not have any bearing on the next one. But if we don't really take into account the next game is Zagreb, given the fact that it's kind of meaningless, that game, in the sense that there's nothing on it, how strong a side we play, we don't know. But it is Arsenal next, and we actually got a question, which I'll kind of link it to that from Sham. Has the result change your expectations for the upcoming fixtures, especially the one against Arsenal? Does that, what you saw yesterday, have any real bearing on, on that game? Because on the one hand, Arsenal next, it's a big game. Chelsea tend to get up for big games, but also we have a pretty horrendous record at home to Arsenal in recent years. The last time we beat them was under Maurizio Sari in August uh, 2018 when we won 3-2. So it's been a long time since we beat Arsenal at home as well, and they've tended to to get one up over us at Stamford Bridge as well. So does that have any bearing for you? And has that affected your confidence going into, you know, if he's lost fixtures before the World Cup?
0: Well, I think, I think you make a good point. Um, you know, in the past, we've absolutely bounced back from, I mean, it, 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 we can't really call them freak results because a freak result would imply that it doesn't happen too often. But they are happening, you know, two or three times a season. But anyway, that's splitting hairs. Yes, we have bounced back in the past quite happily. So they have seemed to be quite freakish. Um, I do worry that because of the systemic issues involved in that, that is a worry. And I I mean somebody emailed me, Matt Scott actually. I'll name check him, it's for tomorrow, tomorrow's show. But I, I haven't got the email in front of me. But he was saying we we've basically allowed far more shots on goal than anybody else recently which tells you that there's something systemically wrong. And, and there was a feeling, wasn't there, over the last few weeks that we've actually got away with it, that we've been quite lucky. You know, Kepper, you mentioned earlier on, he literally has kept us in quite a few games. So we've kind of got away with it. And I worry, and I've been worried about the Arsenal-Newcastle games for quite a while. In fact, you know, I said before the United game, you know, Potter hasn't really had too many tests. I mean, I know Milan away is, is 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 something of a test, but in the Premier League, he's not really had, you know, too many good teams to play against. And the United was the first test, which we kind of neither passed nor failed, really. They cancelled each other out. Arsenal is without doubt going to be a test. I forgot about their. their I mean, it's kind of odd, isn't it? Nick? A bit like United. Arsenal just shithoused their way to results against us recently. We have been the far better side for you know all of that time since we, we beat them 3-2 under Sarri by a long way uh, this season Arteta has got it right and they are a better side than us at the moment and they're looking good and they are going to be a big test and I am worried about that uh, and as I said Newcastle away is a tough match you know there's 55,000 mad Geordies up there it's going to be a tough place to go and they are better at home than they are away and they're a good attacking side. So this is the point, you know, good attacking sides, you know, sides who have got players you can finish uh, and tear you apart if you're not careful are going to be a worry if he doesn't get this. You know, this is the thing, just in the in the wider context of this, actually, Nick, something we haven't mentioned, you know, which 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 is 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 not, you know, solely at the blame of, of Potter, but ever since. Um, I mean, whether you could include Sarri in this, I don't know. But, you know, let's go Lampard, Tuchel, Potter. Lampard had us attacking really, really well, looking good atta- as an attacking side. We couldn't defend for Toffee. Tuchel had us defending brilliantly, but we couldn't attack for shit. Potter's now come in, and he's trying to get us look, looking good as an attacking side. And guess what? We, we can't defend. You know, we need to have a manager who can get us to defend and attack Equally well, because when you get a side that can attack and defend equally well, you tend to win things like titles, you know. And until we can address that issue, you know, we're just going to be, it's not going to be like Groundhog Day, I think. And I mean, of course, what is the thing between the attack and the defense? It's the midfield. And I still think that this is the problem that Chelsea have had really for a long, long time now. We just haven't really, you know, got a midfield that can make our attack and our defence work equally well and, and be good enough to challenge for, for the title. Yes, we can win cups, or maybe we're a good cup side. On our day, we can beat anybody. But to do it week in, week out is what you've got to do to win titles. And I think until they, A, address the midfield, and hopefully by doing that, address this issue of being able to attack and defend equally well, we're not going to win one.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. As I say, Connor uh, and Tram. I kind of had these three games after Manchester United in Brighton, Arsenal and Newcastle. I kind of said would have fed, I'd would i been fairly happy with five points from those three games. I kind of had us winning at Brighton and drawing at home to Arsenal and drawing at Newcastle. We've actually, to be fair, we've won the last two years we've gone to Newcastle, albeit one of those was in a COVID year. And, and then last year when they were, were not great and they were battling relegation under the previous ownership and with Steve Bruce. But Newcastle has been traditionally a, a very tricky game for Chelsea, a game that, they struggled at Newcastle are flying right now that game looks very tough I'm almost in a way more scared for that game than Arsenal because although we have a horrendous record against Arsenal this lot at home I actually think this season have been relatively good in terms of the performances they put in um so I kind of have some faith there and said actually interesting stat we've already lost as many away games in the league this season as we didn't the entirety of last season um which I guess it tells tells a lot in itself so there is some fear fear there and the reality is that while the initial mood with Potter came in was all positive, there's a very real possibility that Chelsea could go into the World Cup with zero wins from their last five Premier League games, and that would leave quite a, a sour taste in the mouth going in for that for that month long period before for, for, before the football resumes, and we could easily find ourselves a few points outside the top four going into that World Cup, which again is just maybe I guess a reality where we were reality where we are, but it is it is tough, and I said ultimately. You lose, Brian, it just makes these other results. It makes that, again, conceding that injury time equaliser to Manchester United just that bit more painful than it already was. It makes drawing at Brentford look even more frustrating than it already was, despite the fact that we can, we know Brentford are a decent side. Um, and it probably actually just puts us under a lot of pressure because what, again, we were already playing catch-up when Potter came in due to the poor start we had under the previous regime, losing at Leeds and Southampton. Uh, but now there's even, you know, le- because of that, there's less from Vereira than we'd like. Uh, but now there's a real situation where we've kind of, these next two games in the league, almost feel must win. And they've gone from probably, if we'd won yesterday, from being must not lose to now being must win. And that's just, I guess, the, the effect one result has, because there's a possibility you, you know that Newcastle, under Eddie Howe could by the end be, you know, a minimum or, of six points clear of us going into going into a World Cup. So that would just kind of, Tell a story in itself. So, so yeah, a, a long answer to to that question. We've probably gone off on a bit of a tangent there. But in general, it is one of those where we kind of now need something to to really give us hope going into the World Cup because we don't want to be stewing on on some poor football for for a month or so. Um, the final question comes in from Clint, who goes: Are recent good results, Milan and Salzburg, etc., papering over some significant cracks? In player mentality and ability, we don't expect to win every game, but as fans, we do expect to see fight in every game. Not literally, uh, we're getting turned over too easily. Chid, I think we may be alluded to this in the show earlier about you. Kind of mentioned mentality. Is it also? I guess the reality is, unfortunately, this is just for current state of Chelsea. From they, from what we've seen the last five years, they just go from the sublime to the ridiculous very easily, and it, it's it's a bit frustrating how easily that happens.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I, I I I i I've not had the pleasure of meeting Clint yet, but I, I know I know who Clint is, and and I think he's he's not. I don't know I don't know how old he is at all, really. But I get the impression he's probably my kind of generation. I said it earlier on, didn't I? I said, you know, we're we're arguably a good cup side, and and if you think back to to when when Chelsea were always, you know, traditionally labelled a cup side, you know, certainly back in the nineties, um. You can make a a pretty good uh, similarity there, I think, because you know we 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 weren't consistent enough to win the league because we didn't have a you know a team full of I mean not world class players but you know if you win the league it's because you got a a good team and a team of good players and we've got some holes in ours so you know on on some days you can get a tune out of them on other days you can't and if you've got a team like that, then yeah, they can be a good cup side, but they're not going to win a league. I, I do wonder about the mentality. As I said, I think I think the team has really lacked leaders for a long, 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 long time. Um, I think Silver's a you know a good captain. He was the captain yesterday, leads by example. But you know, it's not about one bloke. I mean, when, when if you go back to the Mourinho era, you know, I think most of the players in the team, or a lot of the players in the team, were captains of their national side. So you had maybe five, six, you know, bona fide leaders on the pitch at any one time. And arguably the greatest leader we've ever had as a a Chelsea side in John Terry. And I'm sure that has something to do with it. I also think, you know, I I think support, you know, I think you and I today, Nick, tried, tried to, you know, avoid this. But it's very easy for us supporters to be sucked in, and it is, it is like that, you you get sucked into the minutiae and the detail of the here and the now, you know, what happened now, and that kind of um, that kind of determines your state of mind, and it's very hard to actually get yourself out of that, take a step back and look at the bigger picture, and I think one of the things that you've been saying today, Nick, is absolutely relevant, this is a very fucking weird season, I mean, this is the, you know, we got a World Cup, slap bang in the middle of the season, that is absolutely insane. Don't tell me that half the play. I mean, I've heard this on the radio from uh, former players who speak to current players who... They've got their minds on the World Cup. That's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about, are we going to be selected? We don't want to get injured before the World Cup. Every time a player for a national side gets a knock at the moment on the TV, they go, oh, oh, oh that's tragedy. He's going to miss the World Cup. We might miss the... They're all thinking about that. They're not thinking about what their bread and butter job is, which is to win matches for Chelsea football club or any club for that matter. So I think that, I think, I think everything this season has to be taken in, in that context. And it's absolutely criminal that it's happening, but it is happening and we can't do anything to change that. Um, And I think, I think that, that look to get back to the here and now, you know, we, we need to get, we, I mean, we're what fifth at the moment, I think, aren't we? Uh, we're three points behind Newcastle, but we have a game in hand. All right, Man United played today, don't they? They play West Ham. They could go ahead of us. They'd be on twenty-three points if they did that. I mean, it's not. It's not. We we haven't lost touch yet, and I think that's the point. I think it's a bit like a. Um, I'm trying to think of the analogy here. Really, it's like a ten thousand meter race. You know, they they need to be in touch, not too far off the top four. By the time we go into that World Cup, because by the time they come back uh, in December, you know, it's going to be, you know, who knows? You know, there could be injuries to take account of. We might be able to buy some more players in January. Who knows? But it's almost like two seasons in one season, isn't it? Uh, With a kind of a very weird preseason, which is the World Cup, which I suppose is a better quality of match than the crap we saw out in the States this summer. But at least it's competitive. So, yeah, it'll be a reset, won't it, over the World Cup period, and then we'll see what we will see. But I think it's imperative that Chelsea are still in touch, you know, in terms of points, let alone position. You don't want to be like six, seven, eight, nine, ten points behind the top four because that's, that's hard to make up. We all know that. If they're three, three, four points behind, that's all right. That's doable. So let's hope we're, you know, there or thereabouts by the time they all go to the World Cup and then we'll we'll reset in uh, in December. Yeah, indeed. And Clint Ogestad, on
1: mentality, it gets used a lot. I will say as well yesterday, if the players are kind of set up how they were, are yesterday and it's not working and you don't see anything change as well from a manager, I think that probably doesn't help. And you kind of, there's only so much you can do yourselves in that aspect. Also, on these players' mentality, and it's got labelled over them a lot, and I do get it. I also do think these players, for all the questions about their, their mentality, and it's fair, we've conceded two goals and injury time this season to our rivals that have cost us wins, etc. These players last year, to their credit, when the sanctions were going on, they actually did a pretty damn good job of putting in performances on that pitch for for a period of time before eventually they succumbed to it. And I do think even in games we saw at Brentford, at Aston Villa, etc., even that United game, we didn't play well in any of them, but we didn't lose any of them and we didn't necessarily always look like losing them. And so I do think there's also got the as much as we're going to criticise them for what they are yesterday, also, they have also shown signs of, of resilience in some of those games. I think particularly at Aston Villa, where we were very average and we ended up coming away with a fairly comfortable 2-0 win in the end. So I do think at times with these players, the mentality thing is easy to throw at them and I get it and we're probably guilty of it and we will throw it at them at various points in the season when we're angry and frustrated them. But I also think they've got, some of them they have got a fairly decent mentality if they can still grind out some of the results that they do and they're still able to, you know, do what they do in the Champions League and other things as well. I don't think it's, just their mentality. Obviously, it's not perfect, but it, I think it just, just is what it is. And ultimately, these players, I like them. They're not the best players in the world, but they're good players and they're better than I think a lot of people give them credit for. Um And I think it's kind of showed that their results, that they've consistently found a way, whether even if by luck the last few seasons, to constantly get to top four, constantly get to cup finals, seems now getting to the latter stages in the Champions League, which we weren't doing before. So, as much as it is easy to you know to have a go at their mentality and there is a, a, a almost a comical implosion about some of the defeats that Chelsea do suffer these days when we lose it does tend to be spectacular but also i think you know they do probably deserve a bit of credit for other things they do well in so yeah the mentality thing i get it i'm i'm less likely to kind of go in on them too much on that although yesterday was just really poor and genuinely one of the worst first halves i can remember watching in a long long time but that is all the questions that we had for the show today thank you to everyone who sends in a question the show would not be what it is without your interaction i want to thank chidge for coming on um chidge before you go give yourself again one last plug where people can find you where they can listen to the fancast and obviously uh your the show and the last few tickets uh that are remaining for your show on the 6th of no 6th or 7th of november against arsenal after yeah i weekend. mean
0: it, it... It, it, well, thanks, Nick. It's lovely, lovely if you've been back on. I've, I've really, it's woken me up, you know, I was feeling a bit bleary-eyed even though I had an extra hour in bed this morning. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously Chelsea Fancast on all the uh, podcast platforms, there are, I mean, it's it's hosted by Acast, but it, it, it's on iTunes and, and all the other usual places. So uh, Mondays and Fridays, we do, a, a well, they're both kind of a preview and a review show, but we do a Monday show and a Friday show but yes, we're doing an afternoon with Pat Nevin on November the 6th uh, after the Arsenal game. Uh, doors open at half three and uh, with the great man Pat Nevin we will be looking back at the Arsenal game and doing a Q&A with Pat and then there'll be a little bit of a meet and greet with him. It's three hours long. We've got him for three hours. So half three, the doors open. Tickets are £20 and they're available at ticketweb.uk. And the place is the Troubadour Club, which is an old Brompton Road. But I tell you now, there are literally, I mean, I just, I get a report every morning about how many tickets are sold. And there are literally a handful because it's only, it's a tiny venue. You only get about 50 people in there, which I quite like because I think it's, you know, I've been to these things where there are loads of people and, you know, you might as well not be there. But when you've got about 50 people, that's about the right size. And I mean, people have, you know, people get questions in and people can get to meet Pat. So I'm really pleased we've got a venue that's quite small because I like that it's more intimate. But the trouble is, it means the tickets can sell out quick, and uh, that's the case with Pat. So, if you want one, you've got a chance, but uh, get on it quick. Yep,
1: yeah, indeed, indeed. Those links will be in the description below. As I said, make sure you check out the brilliant work that Chidge does on the Chelsea Fancast every Monday and Friday night with Jonathan Kidd, guests, and journalists from Football London. Mm. It's always a good, good laugh. As for us, we're on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod. We're on Instagram at that Chelsea Pod. We're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you're not already, just search that Chelsea podcast, and we should come up. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and a review. Uh, it just again helps us. Spread the word, please. Just send it to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. Um, whenever I tweet the podcast out, any likes, retweets goes a long way. It helps put us uh, out there on the map again. And said at the end of the day, we are just Chelsea fans talking about the one club that we love. And as I said at the start of the show, if you would like to get 20% off, you can get 20% off and free shipping with code CHELSEAPOD at manscaped.com. As I said, look, 85% of partners prefer a man who is groomed below the waist, 96% of partners think bad grooming is a major turnoff. So look, I'm just giving you some numbers there. So go for it. Get 20% off uh, at manscaped.com with code CHELSEAPOD. Uh, But until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying